Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Just a little smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, I, you know, there are so many questions here. I mean, I could tick, tick off between, I mean, the simple stuff of like early voting. Was, was, were tabulations slower this time? You know, should we go all paper? A wire results different for statewide races when they're both statewide races? What's going on in other parts of the country? Uh, ID stuff, early voting. How do you change things? Do you have to pass laws? Uh, do you talk to other <laughs> states? Why is Connecticut so far behind in early voting? Um, you know, like there's a million things, and we've had even listeners are chiming in. And I think that Denise had a really good idea. And I don't know, it's kind of big, but. You were in Connecticut. How does voting work? Great question. <laughs> By the way, we, we go ding, ding, ding. Whenever anyone says great question, Ray and I used to compete. Like if he got a great, someone said great question, I was like, yes. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> How, how does it how does it work? And by the way, I miss Ray. I was on his show many times over the years. We used to talk about basketball and Mill Valley, California. Because yeah, I mean, he can talk about anything. <laughs> I mean, the guy's been to Russia and he worked yeah. with Rush Limbaugh. I mean, the guy's been, he's, he's obviously a legend. Um, but people ask, I mean, municipalities make up their own rules and you just help them? I mean, how does voting in Connecticut work? No, Connecticut is very unusual. We don't have counties. To run the elections. So we have 169 towns. Right. Each town has two registrars, one from each of the major parties, and they are elected in their town, which means that it's um, they are responsible directly only to the people in their town. And that's both good and bad, as you'll hear. So, um, But there are, of course, lots and lots of rules and regulations and statutes that govern the elections, and they have to follow the statutes. So the job of the secretary of the state is to help them follow the law. And um, it's always, you know, it's a struggle every year. And in other states, it is by, if they have counties, it's by county. Like, there's no state that has the whole state just takes care of all of it. No, that's right. It's all by county, county. and no other state has registrars. Most other states just have the clerks, clerks do the jo job. And, uh, and, and there's not one for each party. There's just one. Right. And they are usually appointed, not elected. Did you have a crack researcher look into why we do it that way, too? I did not, but perhaps I should. Um, but it all stems from the fact that we don't have county government. We're not organized that way. So that would um, preclude us having one person in charge of a large area. So we have to have it by town by town. So the Republican and the Democrat, they work together. Correct. 
on election day to tabulate the votes all year. Okay, so it's it's a year. It's a it's a formal job. Many towns, it's very part time, uh, but they are responsible for registering uh, voters as they come in, and also for uh, hiring and firing or whatever uh, the election workers on election day. And do all 169 use the same voting equipment? Yes. Okay, and that's provided by the Secretary of the State or the state? Well, it depends what you mean by equipment. So there's several things. The tabulators (laughs) were purchased after the 2000 election, and they were purchased with federal funds. It was the first time that the federal or state government had put any money into elections. Elections are largely funded by the towns. Okay, so the equipment here in Connecticut is 22 years old. The tabulators. Okay. Now, meanwhile, during the last decade, when I've been in office, we have made uh, new electronic systems for things like the voter the voter list itself. It went online about eh, – we had one of the first statewide voter lists, electronic voter lists in the country, and that was well before my time. Uh, it's called CVR, Connecticut Voter Registry, and it is a statewide list that we had to develop over time. You know, we have only a couple seconds here before we have to break for weather and traffic. But, Stephanie, you know, your opponent in the election, Dominic Rapini, used the equipment as one of his one of his talking points. Do we need new equipment here in Connecticut? Emphatic. Yes. (laughs) And that will be literally one of the first things that I have to tackle, because, as you say, it is over 20 years old. Um, every election, little pieces <laughs> go wrong here and there. So we want to replace the equipment before we have widespread failure. Do you need legislation to do that, to appropriate it, or how does we that work? We need money. <laughs> so we'll have to um, have the legislature appropriate some money for the purchase um, if there's no federal money available. Yeah, well, now would be the time. I mean, the state has money, and it's not. I don't think the cost would be onerous uh, relative to what what they have. Uh, we're here with uh, Stephanie Thomas, of course, incoming Secretary of the State, and Denise Merrill, who did it for eleven plus years here in Connecticut. And feel free, you know, Stephanie, I know you haven't done the job yet, so (laughs) feel free to chime in. And if you have questions for Denise, you can ask them, too. Um, You know, back to the ballot stuff. So if you don't fill it out properly, they don't reject ballots without you knowing it, correct? No. And so you put it in the machine, and if something's wrong, it spits it back out, and you can fix it? Yes. Okay. But with mail-in ballots, if something's wrong, do they reject it? No, it's more complicated than that. We have lots of checks and balances on absentee ballots. So, first of all, they don't get opened until after 8 o'clock on Election Day. So what if there's a mistake? If there's a mistake, at that point, there is no chance to cure it. And that's why during COVID, when we had more absentee ballots coming in, we allowed the registrars to open the ballots on Friday night. So the outer see, envelope. The uh, outer yeah. envelope only. See, it's a very complicated <laughs> Well, this is process, important because, but. again, like I, I, I don't use the word hate often because it's a strong word, as I tell my children. But I, I hate that these issues are become, become partisan issues mm-hmm. because yeah. I, have, I am an independent, but I have real questions about a lot of this stuff from voter ID or whatever. And so I'm just curious, is there double signature? How do you— how do you make sure? And I've asked you this. I asked you this two years ago. Yeah. How, how do you know? How do you make sure, without doubt, that a mail-in ballot is coming from the source it's supposed to be coming from? There's no way you can do that ultimately. Just like there's no way you can ensure anything 100. percent 
But all I can say is when you get that, you have to file an application, first of all. That's right. a step that most states don't take. Most states just mail you a ballot if you're on the list, by the way, uh, which would be considered heresy here. Right. We have lots and lots of checks and balances, which is one of the reasons it takes so long to count all this. Uh, so it's, it's, if you will, a balance between security and speed. And you're going to have to give some things up if you want to have more speed in counting these things. But specifically, there's a signature on the ballot, then there's yes. a signature on the outer envelope. Yes. Inner envelope. Inner, Inner and they, envelope. And they yes. have to match something that's on file? No. You, matching signatures is a very inaccurate way of trying to identify someone. So, Think how, of, tell, so tell me what makes you confident that the system works. Because the person has provided an application, first of all, mm -hmm. to get the ballot. They're on the list, so that's And I checked. should just add um, for your listeners, so the application, when it's submitted back to the register, I'm sorry, the town clerk, it is checked against the right. voter list. So right. before the ballot is mailed out, they know it's a legitimate voter. If a question comes up at that point, then they will contact the person who submitted the application. I was at my town clerk's office, I don't know, a few weeks before the election, and they were telling me how a parent had submitted the application um, for their child. Um, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, a parent had called. No, sorry. I'm trying to remember ex the exact circumstance because each town clerk is a little different. Um, the situation was that, oh, I know, they had gotten the ballot back, and something about it raised their eyebrow. It, it, they thought it didn't look right, so they called the voter, got a parent, and it turned out to be for a college-age child, and the way the parent explained the situation, they felt that the parent had filled it out instead of the child. So they said, hey, we're going to remail this and throw this one out because they sensed that there was something that had happened that was incorrect. And I just like to assure listeners that election workers, they many of them have been doing this for years. They are of the highest integrity and they want to make sure that every vote is valid. Um, so they are looking for uh, potential problems, and they want to root them out just as much as anyone else does. Is there anything you want to add? Like, I, how do you make sure that 90-year-old Nana isn't getting her vote taken care of by somebody else type thing? Like, I don't know. I, I don't even – I just – I want to make sure that people understand that it's not – you know, and, and your quotations were taken out of context by those ads oh, early yeah, on, yeah. In which I thought was really unfortunate. But you can't bat a 1,000 with this stuff, but – I just, you know, one final statement on, you know, reassuring people that that this is a system that works. Um, I just want people to feel confident that the mail-in balloting is something that can be relied upon um, and they can have faith in it. I would say your mail-in ballot is just as secure as an in-person ballot. There were questions before all the absentee ballot stuff came up. There were questions about why don't we have... Everybody produce an ex, you know a, a government ID, which is another whole set of questions. I know, but when you're in person, there were questions about that. You are never going to have 100% accuracy, but we're as close as we've ever been to that because our lists are better than they ever have been 
because they've been checked so many times. Why is it the Democrats seem to do mail-in voting more than Republicans? This is something that comes up a lot. And maybe we have to come up with ways to open stuff before 8 o'clock on Election Day because these, you know, take, for instance, the, I believe, the Senate race in Nevada where, you know, like Laxall was ahead when polls closed Mm -hmm. and then she, you know, she continues to creep up and then eventually overtook Laxalt with the mail-in count. And I'm not saying it's across the board, but why is that seemingly the case that Democrats vote by mail-in more than Republicans? Well, Republicans have been kind of <laughs> saying that absentee ballots aren't secure, so more Republicans are more suspicious of absentee ballots. That's the short answer. But, but you have to realize also, in um, in the West, many of the states allow ballots to come in after election day and still be counted. California, I think they count ballots that come in up to 10 days mm-hmm. after elections. We do not. And that's one reason our our results actually come in more quickly. That's right. what you're seeing. I think Arizona. that's insane. Then they can read the tea leaves and then vote. It's just it's but, it, honestly that's bizarre. I don't it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you want to say we have to take a quick break here, but I want you to get the last word and stuff. Oh, I was just going to say and uh, you know, the Democrats have a wider coalition uh in many ways and at least here a lot of Democrats are working people and you know, convenience does often trump being able to present yourself well, but on Republicans election day. Work, work too. No, I, I mean, know, I know, but um I, that's an issue I've heard a lot about um throughout the campaign trail. People with multiple jobs, people in low-income jobs, not being able to get time off, et cetera, to go on Election Day. We'll put, we'll put a pin in that, and we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk more about uh, results coming in. I think that's something people have a ton of questions about, specifically about how can you call Blumenthal you know, at 801 in a statewide election, but the governor's election took hours. You know, that's something that people, I get a lot of questions on that. And so we're, we're really grateful to have Stephanie Thomas, the incoming secretary of the state and Denise Merrill. Uh, It's been a while since we've been able to talk to you. So we're really happy to have you on. Uh, We're here with Stephanie Thomas, incoming secretary of the state and Denise Merrill did it. Would you say, can't quite say a dozen, right? So 11 plus is that it? Is that how we calculate it? Um, it, You know, I wanted to start off here because we believe it or not, the time is so tight. Uh, we have uh, a listener, Mark, who wants to know about the voter rolls and cleaning them up. And is that a is that something that is a con- do we need to do more to clean up the voter rolls? So you can talk about what it's been in the past. Then maybe um, Stephanie you could chime in on what your plans are for it. The voter rolls are quote cleaned up every year. There is a yearly canvas. Uh, registrars, again, are in charge of that canvas, and they send you a postcard. They can either send a postcard or use the U.S. Postal Service uh, uh, moving list, that list where you report when you move. Uh, What if they're not good at it? What if they don't care enough? Can the state, can Stephanie audit that? Can she make sure it's being done properly? Well, one thing I want to chime in, a lot of people don't realize there's a difference between being active and inactive. And there are a host of federal laws that uh, dictate who can and can't be removed and when and after how many points of contact. So uh, someone may be deemed inactive, but will still be on the roll. But if they present themselves to vote, they have to make themselves active again. Um, so the rolls will always be slightly out of date, but registrars know that and they're deemed inactive. Very good point. Yeah. 
And also, our roles are cleaner now than they ever have been, largely because we now go through the DMV system. People are more inclined to report their moves to the DMV than they are to the local town mm. registrar. So uh, now that w you can easily go on the DMV website and update your record, you know, and it automatically goes to the town and people are either moved or taken off the list. Now, um, there were the accusations, I remember maybe it was, I don't know if it was Kemp in Georgia in the last cycle of like bumping like half a million people off the rolls and it was decidedly, you know, not in, in Abrams' favor. Is that stuff true? Yes, it is true. And he came under fire because the federal law says that you can't make that kind of a change a certain time before the election. And his problem was he did it within that time frame, which was really against the federal law. And there's reasons for that. You can see, you know, you don't want to be making massive changes in your voting rolls just before the election. So that that was why he came under fire. He was still Secretary of State at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I, th that's what yeah. I thought. So, I mean, and you know what, well, let me squeeze in one more quick question here. And and, and Stephanie, if you have a, a take on this too, it's from Dan, one of one of our listeners, that outside of people who work, you know, early voting can be, a, in no early voting is like a vo can be a voter suppression for people who, who can't get there because of work. Are there any other examples besides people who work the wrong shift or can't get out of work? Absolutely. One of the best um, or worst stories I ever heard was an elderly gentleman. I was out door knocking. This was back in 2018. And he, I said something like, oh, do you vote, sir? And he said, yes, in every election except one. Um, I woke up. I have bad arthritis. My knee pain was so great I couldn't get out of bed. It happened to be election day, and he couldn't vote that day. Um, early voting will help people who don't know their good days from their bad days. AARP has been a big supporter of this um, because, you know, if you're on medication sometimes, you – feel better one day, not as good the next day. If you have any kind of physical disability, um, same thing. Um, one uh, Or inclement weather. A lot of um, elderly people don't like to drive if there's a storm that day. So having multiple days to choose from can really help. I've heard the same from parents of young children. If you don't have a child care situation, your child is vomiting <laughs> or something, you can't take them out the house. And uh, they have told stories of not being able to vote as well. We have to take a quick a quick break just for traffic, and then we'll come come right back because we still have to talk about calling of the race with Blumenthal and Leora Levy. And I also want to ask you what everyone asks every day is, why can't we just have a federal holiday? There's a couple federal holidays we could bounce, I think. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Make Election Day a paid holiday and we would never have. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This problem. What a great idea. <laughs> why, so if it's so obvious, why haven't we done it? Because it's a federal holiday. It would have to be done at the federal level. And, you know, they can't agree on what they're all having for breakfast these days. So I don't know how you would ever get that through. But I, I think it's been the, resisted for whatever reason. The Monday after the Super Bowl, I think, should be a holiday. <laughs> and I, I think Election Day should be a I mean, every adult should be able to be hungover and spend the day at home. Um, but, but, you know, is that something where... Could there be a? Is there ever like an envision a movement from the, like do you talk to the congressional delegation or like could you do something? Um, yes, we the people could do something across the country. We could lobby our uh, congressional delegations to look into this and adopt it. Um, there was a law that came up here in Connecticut to provide, um, I think it was a few hours of paid time off uh, in state. Um, but it met with a lot of resistance, and that was just last year. So hmm. people are not unified around this. Um, what's the, what's the empl- argument against? Well, employers um, yeah. push back about the cost. Um, uh, there, I've heard arguments about making it a federal holiday because which one do you get rid of or do you add it, which means, again, employers are footing the bill for paid time off. We're talking with Stephanie Thomas, whose voice you just heard, incoming Secretary of the State, and, and Denise Merrill. We're going to talk about this a little more with Dan Har from Hearst Media next hour. But And we asked the Associated Press to join us today, and they didn't give us somebody. But I think it's important to note when – so the first question I'm going to throw out there generally is, how does the Lior Levy-Richard Blumenthal race get called at 8.01? It's a statewide race, but it took hours and hours for the – governor's race between Bob Stefanowski and Ned Lamont to be called when that was still ended up a double-digit victory? I think the easiest way to describe it is just to tell you how it's done. Um, and, uh, but you don't make that call. It's not you. No, yeah. you have I was going to say, yeah, and by call, <laughs> that means the media is making that call, not the right. secretary of the state's office. Right. And so, honestly, we were shocked when they called the Blumenthal race, what was it, three minutes after eight or whatever it was. I have no idea how they did that. None. <laughs> None. No. I mean, the only way I can conceive of it is that they hired people to stand at certain polling places and call in the results. Because the results we get on the state system, which is what you're looking at when you go to the secretary's website, is input at the local level. 
and it goes live immediately. It's, it's instant as soon as they put it in. But they have two days to put it in because we don't have the ability to be just fast. We need to be accurate. So we get, gave them extra time this year and now I guess pretty much in perpetuity. Uh, they have 48 hours to record the results and because there are mistakes made. But, and they have to type it in by hand. We don't let them send the results over the Internet, and that's a key point because, of course, it would be faster if we just plug the machines right into right. the Internet. But we do not allow because that. Because hackers are too security. smart. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But, but even if uh, they hired someone in every poll, they're still making the call based on an educated guess because you're not even allowed to open absentee ballots until after the polls close at 8 p.m., um, and we had uh, about 150,000 absentee ballots this year. So they weren't all counted in three minutes. So, you know, Blumenthal has a lar- long track record. I think they made an educated guess. My race wasn't called until the next day. Right. Um, so that tells you they're, you know, they didn't have full information. And they're not often wrong. I mean, but it is in in. And that, and then I want to get into the slow pace of tabulation. So, when does the Secretary of the State's office make a call on a race? Two weeks, technically. So, still, none of these races have technically been called because the results you're seeing are what we call unofficial results. You don't get a certified result for two weeks, and that's because there are corrections. We already probably have ten or twenty amendments in where they found a math error or something like that. So, we don't call it ever. We, we call a it perfect, A perfect case in point, reporters started calling me saying, Representative Thomas, you got more votes than Governor Lamont. Like, how do you feel? And, um, you know... Uh, I'm running for governor. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Ned, step aside. Just kidding, Ned. Um, and it, so my husband actually started looking through the numbers, and he said, oh, I see something that looks like a typo because the math doesn't work. Sure enough, within a couple of days, that town corrected what they had entered, um, and all of a sudden my numbers went down. Um, so, you know, making these premature calls is It's a conspiracy. Lamont made sure that... <laughs> um, but I think it's important distinction for listeners and for me that these are not your calls. These are media calls, and they're responsible for them. And if you go back to the 2020 election, that's why when Fox News called Arizona, Republicans were, were apoplectic because they didn't understand why, why they did that so early and and that became a huge controversy in the election. Stephanie Thomas joining us, Denise Merrill, we're talking about uh, elections. And I went over I went over this earlier this morning. You know, I, I've been using the Wall Street Journal. Um, they just have a really the interactivity of it is really good and 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 they do an amazing job. But when I'm I'm looking at say the house and you look at the national picture and they have on one side they have a bunch of the races that haven't been called and I'm seeing in California's twenty Seventh district, they have sixty-five percent reporting. In the twenty-second, they only have fifty-four percent, and then in the thirteenth, they have seventy-eight. And so, the takeaway from today is that because some, one one county is slower than the other, I mean, to me, to be a week later in the election and have fifty-four percent reporting, it's irresponsible. Like to me, like that's not acceptable. But I mean, why can't we have more? And why? Why are some places? Why is Connecticut have ninety nine percent reporting? I mean, I, it's, 
this is more opinion than whatever, but yeah. just I don't I don't get it. Well, in a way, this is where our 169 towns help us. Each town has a limited number of ballots to count and recount sometimes and verify, etc. Whereas in a county system, there's just a greater volume. Um, so I think that's why we get some of our results faster. We also don't have no excuse absentee ballot um, uh, voting. So our count, uh, as we said earlier, was only about 150,000. If you take that against uh, 2020, we had almost 650,000 absentee wow. ballots. So it's just faster compared to states where they have a much more robust mail-in system. We have less than a minute, but like, should should oh. I not be mad? Uh, yeah, because don't forget, California is what we call a postmark state, so they still accept ballots as long as they were postmarked by Election Day. But how many people do that? I mean, are that many people are coming in with those ballots after the Election Day? Well, they're not coming in. They mailed them. They mailed them. Sometimes the postal service is not as quick as it used to be. Um, there's lots of reasons. But in California, they take the position that we want every single ballot that's been filed to be counted. We say, no, it has to be accepted in by election day, that's it, a huge difference. But that's not still doesn't account for forty six percent. That be, might be five percent. You mean in California? Yeah, I mean it can't be that big a number for people who it comes in the mail after election day. But they have to wait. They have to wait till they're all in before they say, "Oh yeah, okay, now we can give you another." So they bulk report. So they. They, they have to wait till every single ballot is in. And if they're still getting ballots in, it could be a labor issue. Yet. Why have people come in every day? Just right. wait until you're at the deadline. Huh. All right, we're back. As I say, your mics are hot. Um, so be, you know, be mindful. Joining the conversation along with incoming Secretary of the State Stephanie Thomas and Denise Merrill, who did it for 11 plus years, is Dan Haar from Hearst Media. And first of all, Dan, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Great to be here. I voted. Yep, um, that's good. Some people talk and talk and talk and then don't vote. One year I didn't get there because it, it, I won't say I've only once in my entire life really? ever missed an election. And I was working as a photographer at the Hartford Current, and there were lines around the block, and I had left it too long before I had time, to, and I couldn't vote. Okay. Dan, would early voting have helped you? Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would. There you go. But, you know, before we get to you, because you raised off Mike a bunch of really good topics, but that brings up one topic that drives me crazy, and I've never understood it. Why, on God's good earth, should there be lines wrapped around the corner to vote? And is that a voter suppression method in other places? Like, anybody can take it, but, like, I've never, in Connecticut, I've never had that problem. I mean, a, an annoying line is, like, five people. Uh, and so... It's not a modern issue. Right, but it is, is it a calculated oh, issue? It, the classic example was 2004 in Columbus, Ohio, where some people think that the entire national election with John, uh, John Kerry and, and uh, President Bush would have turned... Because there were 10-hour waits in the one most liberal jurisdiction in Ohio. And Ohio, of course, was the swing state. How's that possible? But I can tell you in, in Connecticut, it's usually a money issue. Uh, towns tend to want to shrink their po number of polling places because they're more expensive. So we've had several very notorious examples of that. One of them in West Hartford, <laughs> I forget about maybe 10 years ago, where they shrank the number of polling places from 22 to 11, but didn't take into account that there would be more people in those places. And it was a disaster. They had long lines. Is that something that the office has anything to do with it's all cities and towns who make that decision 
I believe so, correct, Denise? <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, yes, but we can step in if we think that voters are being impacted, uh, you know, in a bad way. So we, we, we don't have any technical authority, but we can raise the question. That happened in Enfield a couple of years ago where we stepped in when they reduced all their polling places down to one. Jeez. And we stepped in and they changed their and minds. And I haven't run it by any lawyers yet, but I would love to. I've talked with a lot of recently retired registrars who would like to stay involved. I'd love to put together some sort of volunteer corps of people who are already trained, who maintain their certification, but that could be deployed at a moment's notice on election day hmm. if there are problems. But I have no idea if it's we'll legal. We'll see what the lawyers so. <laughs> say about I'd like that. To, I, I'd like to know whether the new more lower tech machines make it easier because you, you can have as many carols as you need versus having the, the, the old, uh, what do you call them, the, the lever the machines, lever. which may be unlimited. Yeah, but it, it doesn't help the fact that you can only get so many in the door at a time. That's yeah. what happened at West Hartford. And you have the they, checkers. They they, they didn't take into account the number of people that they needed to get through the line. Yeah, West, West Hartford should learn about redistricting because in 1995 they tried to redistrict the schools, and that was when the Democrats were thrown out. Oh, right. <laughs> so. You know, Dan, I, I don't know if you're a theory guy in general, but we were talking earlier about, you know, one thing we that was good that we clarified for people is that the state really doesn't have anything to do with calling these elections. It's all about media entities, and we'll ask about Hearst in a second. But we were talking about the difference between whether it's Stephanie Thomas and Dominic Rapini or Ned Lamont and Bob Stefanowski, but yet we have, you know, Leora Levy and Richard Blumenthal called at 801, and and you have a theory as to why. I do. I think that uh, any of these races that are 15, 18 points apart can be called by exit polling and or sampling, right? And I think you guys discussed before I got yep. here that it may have been some sampling right. that happened. And I learned from a, a fellow named Quinn in Suffield in 1986, 87, when I was a young reporter, and and when the first machine came out, not the first polling place, the first machine came out, he was standing there, and he would call the election based on one machine. And he said, if there's not a reason for this machine to be different, i.e. one of the candidates lives in this district, that's your race right there. So it's easy to call a race. Is that successful as, a, yes. as an approach? Yes, it rarely fails, and that's why that's why polling works. Polling worked pretty well this year. Surprisingly, it worked better than I thought it was going to. 1,200 people nationwide can tell you how the nation's going to vote. So sampling works. My theory is that the, the, the whatever forces there were out there, and I'm not naming names and who they were, had decided that Liz, Leora Levy did not run a, a campaign that was respectful of the media in a number of ways. And we were, they, I say we. I had no part of it. And they were going to stick it to her. That's as simple as that. So you think it was almost like a almost uh, yeah. personal? I think it was vengeant move to stick it to a candidate who snubbed the media at every turn. So let me just sort of summarize. So the assumption was she was going to lose anyway. So Any why not do? Why called. not announce it in a way that made her look as bad as possible? We could have called the the, the secretary elect Thomas's race at eight oh one two. I said on the air. I was on one of the TV stations, Channel Three Eyewitness News at the desk and I said I declared that it was a 3.5 million dollar per minute election because <laughs> it was 3 minutes and it was about a 9 million dollar election. I wish someone had called it that night. It would have made for a better party. <laughs> well, there you go. What is that like though, if I might digress for a second when what sort of conversations are being had at 10 o'clock when you feel confident but don't know? And w was there any calculation as to just going out and 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 
and having a victory speech? Yeah, um, there's always people who said, you are very likely the winner, but... Um, why, I, why wait for Hearst to say anything I, or AP? I felt confident by about 10 p.m. that I would likely be the winner based on um, the towns I had uh, won, etc. But I am a person of details, <laughs> so I said I won't announce it until a much higher percentage of the precincts were in. And I didn't feel compelled to give a victory speech that night. Um, So I was happy to wait till the next day. I I raised the question during the break. I'm not sure why we need to know the results of an election on the same day. Um, I throw that out there, (laughs) playing devil's advocate. I mean, it's just something we're used to culturally, but as we heard earlier in places like California, that's not the case. Well, there's one, there's one reason is that it's way more fun as a, a consumer to watch. Because <laughs> I like a game. There's a first quarter, yeah. second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Then you know who won. Like, as a consumer, you want us – I mean, because I love post-election night coverage. I mean, it is compelling. So when you told me, like, there's no way you're going to know – well then, I don't want to watch. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, I mean, it is sport. So is the media For, driving a, this. <laughs> there's another reason. There's another reason, and it's I'll I'll stick with the football analogy, okay. right? Suppose in the great uh, terrible call that happened between Los Angeles and who was it, New Orleans, the bad or the pass interference? Yeah, the oh, pass interference. Yeah. <laughs> Suppose in that call they had said we're going to study that and we're going to come back in three days. The answer would be not that we want to know because we're impatient Americans, although we are. It's that it's knowable. We want to know because it's knowable. We're capable of not knowing when we have a, a medical diagnosis that takes a week. We're capable of waiting when it's not knowable. When it's knowable, we want to know, and it's knowable. And it's frustrating to us, I think, me, and I think all of us, to know that in in every polling place, what is it, 718? Yep. It, 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 polling places, the, mod, the moderator must, by law, read the results out loud, Right. So it's frustrating to me to know that in 718 places, if we just had a person there, we would have the answer, mm. plus the absentee ballots, plus the soon-to-be-happening early election results, uh, and then should work. I have to take a quick break, but is there something you want to chime in real quick, or are you are good? Oh, no, I just wanted to chime in and say, for democracy, it's good to have finality. I mean, uh, th- you know, you see all these questions about these elections, and you could, you know, negate a lot of that if you... Mm. We all want to know. I mean, yeah. like you say, human it's, nature. Yeah, it's played a lot like sports games now, unfortunately. And so, so that voice is Denise Merrill. The voice before that is Dan Har, and the voice before that is Stephanie Thomas. And I'm Brian Shackman. This is Brian and Company. I, we're 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 back here with Dan Har from Hearst Media, uh, Stephanie Thomas, incoming Secretary of the State, and Denise Merrill, longtime Secretary of the State. I just quickly want to get a listener question, and we've had several really good ones. And this one is, is it true that absentee ballots are not counted if the lead margin is larger than the amount of outstanding ballots? Whoa, is there any scenario that you won't count the mail-in ballot if somebody's already ahead by more than the amount of mail-in ballots? It's a good question. I'm looking at Denise. And, uh, I don't think so. I, I remember hearing that. I don't know if it's an urban legend, but like a decade ago, I remember hearing that. Um, but is I it, would have it, to check I don't, the law books. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that. You will count every vote. Yes. You will count every vote. Well, I mean, unless and, there's an error, you know, in the... You know, no, no, I mean, yes. that's, a, that's yeah, a vote you yeah. get rejected. But that's right. And actually, that now yeah. reminds me, I believe what I read um, while doing some research is that 
The totals may have been announced without counting those absentee ballots, but in the results that are ultimately certified within a couple of weeks at the secretary's office, it includes everything. I think that would make a lot of sense. Dan, how does... We talked about AP calling the Levy-Blumenthal race yes. at 801. What do you do at Hearst Media for calls? Well, we subscribe to Associated Press. So, okay. the totals, so you go by when they call yes. it, you call it. So we're looking at two total. Yes, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is that we, because because we're not in the business of elections as often as, as some people, we're a little more reticent to call elections. Now, the example came... Uh, first, let me say that when we're looking at results, we're looking at the election system at the Secretary of the State's website, and we're looking at the AP results that come into our newsroom directly. And in neither case do we know for a given town whether that total, say it's 6,000 per candidate and it's close in the town of Smallville, uh, we don't know whether those totals include the absentee ballots. If we knew whether it included the absentee ballots, our job would be easier. And you want to change that. You'd like to see them at least know, be notified if it does? Yes. I'd like to go to a system in which we, the media, combine and in a consortium, and it would cost about $50,000 per election, to get the results from all 700 and what? I had the right number, 18? 718. These are numbers that are etched into your mind right now. <laughs> yes, right. exactly. So we, to get all 718 uh, v- voting places staffed, Right, I did. That's how I started my journalism career. Low those many years. Yeah, ago. back when you were sending pigeons to get messages. <laughs> we were sending somewhere. pigeons, and John Lender right. was sending me as a pigeon to the Snow School. <laughs> the great John Lender, uh, now retired from the Hartford Current, to the Snow School in Middletown, where I got five dollars, which I looked it up last night is twenty-two dollars and fifty cents today. in today's money. Right, and probably couldn't get it for that. Uh, you, you seriously, you get that staffing, and then when we yeah. got the results from the town clerk some hours later. We must know that those results include, they must segregate the absentee and soon-to-be early voting uh, results. If you had a light bulb and said that's a great idea, would you have to go to the legislature for that, or could you just unilaterally do that? To make it a law, you'd have to go to the legislature. Um, I think it's a really interesting idea. There's so much duplication. Media is getting results. Town committees are getting results. Candidates and emissaries to get results. I would love to see that streamlined yeah. through one system. Well, how is, Denise, how, how are the, why are the AP's numbers different than the state's? Where do they get them? I don't understand that. They don't get them from the actual results because the way it works is the local towns, namely the town clerks, type in the results as they come in and they go up in real time on our website. But that, that's the only real data that's out there. And even that is. So what are they doing? I have no idea. The, I, I'm, I'm imagining they're using some sort of matrix or uh, Wednesday algorithm. We, yeah, or when, no, I, I, don't, I think it's a straight count. I thought it was a straight count. Wednesday we saw that the difference of 1,000 votes, most of the day Wednesday we had AP calling the – not calling, AP reporting the difference in the 5th District race of uh, 1,800 votes for mm-hmm. much of the day, starting at about right. 2 in the afternoon. And when I saw that, I'm a numbers guy, and I said – that, be, that 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 Senator Logan can't catch up. Right. right? At, at 1,800 votes, he can't catch up. I knew the numbers. 
and let's call the race. Well, we're a little hesitant to call the race because the Secretary of the State's red website is saying 800 votes. And I had thought that the difference was absentee ballots that the town clerks weren't calling in but were telling AP. But as AP, So AP gets the numbers directly from the town clerks. From clerk. the town clerks. Right. And turns out the, the, the difference was a discrepancy with a glitch having to do with the recording system in Salisbury, which yeah. is a heavily Democratic town. But regardless, if AP, if you're to believe AP's numbers, we could have, would have, should have called the race before the Secretary of the State said there will be no recount, which was at 745, which automatically ticked off everyone calling the race. But I called the Secretary of the State's office and I said, at some point, are you going to make an announcement? And they said, no, that's your job. Because I mean, you get back to the point that the Secretary of State's never, you know, we never call a right. race. We just record the numbers. We're we're the system, and everybody's calling in the numbers to us. But that's the clerks don't do. exclusively report to you. That's the thing that I'm learning today. Like that's the difference is that the clerk can tell the AP what they're telling you. Well, they announce it publicly. Actually, I mean, if you've ever gone to a precinct when they're counting votes, when they open the machines, they publicly announce hmm. what each machine has on that number. You have to go. It's yes. wonderful to see you. Thank and you, you look great, and uh, your insight is really well appreciated. Uh, Denise Merrill, uh, she's going to be leaving us here at 8.30, but Stephanie Thomas and, and, and Dan Hart graciously will stay for the remainder of the hour. Uh, let's quickly check in with Bob Cox. We, we're really grateful. This is important stuff for people to know, so all of you, this is like a, I really think it's a community service. All right, we're back here at 8.44. Uh, we are here with incoming Secretary of the State Stephanie Thomas and Dan Har from Hearst Media. By the way, CT Insider has been great. I mean, I, I, I think it's been really good. I use it a lot. I, I really do. What's that? <laughs> we'll talk about it off air? I have complaints. but Oh, you, well, we'd li- I'd like to hear it. I, I just, I'm always looking for content, and it's just a good place to go for, for content. This stuff, we, all the great stuff is there, but too much clickbait. I want to oh. get rid of that chaff. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of links on that front page. Too many. There's, there's for sure. <laughs> you know, Stephanie, I want to ask you, you know, listen, this is what I, I deal with every day. And, and I, you know, we have a, I won't say we have a political household, but my wife, I'm very independent you know, maybe slightly right of center, and my wife is very progressive, and we have a lot of, uh, I should say, colorful conversations mm-hmm. in the House, which I think is really healthy for our children mm-hmm. to see because we don't vote in lockstep, and I'm a split-ticket voter in a lot of elections. But, you know, this the election denier crowd did not do well in this election, but there's a lot of people, and I think, you know, even people who aren't election deniers who are not optimistic and have a lot of faith in the process. Maybe it's better in Connecticut, but when you see... These issues in in Nevada, and you see the slow reporting in certain states. I mean, h- how do you respond to people who just don't trust the system? I think people should have faith in the system. Um, you know, the election denier uh, ilk among us. Um, let's not forget that a lot of this was fueled by former President Trump and. When many of those cases were investigated, they were proven not to be true. Um, there are so many um, checks and balances, security features, etc. But it's human nature. When you yeah. go to bed and somebody's got a two-point lead, and you, for example, just have, and you wake up and they're behind, 
people have a tough time with that just in terms of human nature. But I think sometimes it's because they don't understand the system. I've talked about civic education um, from day one in my campaign. Um, I know from just campaigning around the state, talking to many different types of people, there's always an aha moment, uh, much like we had this morning. People didn't know, for example, that the media is getting separate results that don't go through the secretary's site. Um, One thing I've always said, there's a difference between fraud and mistakes. Um, This is a human system at the end of the day, and humans make mistakes. So we have to make sure the process is as mistake-proof as possible. But because 2020 felt third world to me. Well, I, I think there's also um, uh, a tendency for people to want quick answers, but election work is very detail-oriented. And I know the registrars I speak with, you know, they don't want to submit anything very quickly. They want to cross the T's, dot the I's, but voters sometimes push, campaigns push for quick answers. It's why I raised the question, do we really need results election night? When you think about election workers, they have worked um, usually a 15, 16 hour day before they even start, you know, uh, verifying all of these results. So it's a lot of strain to put on a lot of people. Uh, Most people don't realize we're talking over 2,100 election workers on election day. Uh, No, I'm sorry, over 3,500. So it's a lot of pressure to put on a system. I want to push back on three things there quickly. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Three, Dan. The first, yes, three. The first is that we want results quickly, not only because we're curious by nature and not only because we can get the results, therefore we want the results, Mm -hmm. but also I believe, and we saw in 2020 and 2016, faster results increase confidence in the system because it leaves less room for those questions. And, of course, we don't want to go all the way to the point where – President Trump said any vote counted after midnight doesn't count. Any vote comes in. That's one thing. Well, let me answer that before you get to the other two. I think it's a trade-off, and we as voters have to decide where we want that that line to fall. So in 2020, you may recall, we passed a law because of the uh, emergency declaration that allowed towns to begin opening absentee ballots, the outer envelopes, much earlier. Right now, you can't start until after the polls close, which— by nature means we're going to get delayed results. So we could certainly lobby the legislature to pass a law that would allow us to once again open early. But there was a lot of pushback about that. Dan, uh, put a pin in those second two. I got to do traffic really quick with Mark Christopher and the Brown Pandiris and Scott Traffic Center. Stay on that soapbox, Dan.
By the way, Dan, your mic is on now. Your mic is on. <laughs> I'm letting you know on. that your mic is on. It's great to be on the mic. <laughs> say something good. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to say? Well, Anything you want. What I want to say, well, the first thing I want to say is is that CT Insider, just to introduce it to the listeners, is our statewide website right. for all of the best content at And I, I happen to be a paid subscriber, and I enjoy it. And, As am I. And, and so and I, I think that one of the voids in journalism is this erosion of local journalism, which I'm not even saying Hirsch is necessarily fully stepping into the void, but we, ha- we need accountability at the local level, and we don't have it. And so the fact that there's an emerging place where they're actually investing. Now, you might say you have all your opinions about where you work, and we never really love where we work. We always think we can get more investment. But to me, like anyone in Connecticut who's investing in journalism deserves to be supported. That's all I yeah, feel. We are far and away the biggest newsroom in the state, not even close. We have a, about 160 people. Well, you're taking everybody from everybody yeah, and everywhere we're, else. Well, not taking anything. The, the, there's no scenario where one of us does well and the other doesn't. We're all lifting each other up in the media. This, my theory is that I'm not think I don't think we're trying to squash TIC or, or Channel Eight or anything like that. We, we all work together. If we do well, sure. we all do well. Do you now when you represented your community? How long did you do it for? Uh, one term. So okay. I was elected in 2020. And before that, do we, was that your first sort of civic volunteer? I ran for office in 2018 for state rep, lost by a few hundred votes, which I didn't find out for a day and a half um, because a machine, uh, uh, the ballots got wet. Um, uh, I served on my zoning commission. I was a member of a town committee, but my career was in nonprofit management, um, and uh, I worked as a fundraising consultant to nonprofits. For a few decades. What a great, I mean, what a great story. And, it, you know, it, it, you know, we're very similar in ages. And I, you know, I've, I've often flirted with thinking to do more. And then I'm, I don't have either the guts or the independent wealth or both. Or I don't know. But for you to do that, it's really impressive. Dan, you had, you were on the soapbox for two other things. I don't know if you remember what they are, but. Yes, I do. You know, okay. I just want to say the secretary elect will still have a chance to vote in a special session that's coming up very likely uh, at the end of November, as a sitting state representative, is this going to be on the gas tax? Yes, or, it yeah. will, and so she is still a sitting state rep, and will I vote am. one way or the other on extending that gas it's, tax. It's going to pass. Well, we think so. The other, so getting back to what I was saying, the other thing you said was that that a lot of the discrepancies arose during uh, former President Donald Trump, uh, his administration, the alleged. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and but what you said was a lot of the problems, or most of the problems didn't turn out to be true. The problem is that this is this is one of these like flying a jet plane type thing where there's no room for error in people's minds. So it has to be that all of the problems were proven untrue. Was that the case? Um well, I I I think that um we spoke earlier it would be impossible, I believe, to have a 100% System. So instead, we have a system that points out malfeasance uh, around the country, um, which is why we know about some cases of actual fraud because they were were caught. Um, and then we have to make sure there are as few loopholes. And when new situations arise, we close the loopholes that exist and keep refining a system. Um, but you don't think a coordination on a macro level is possible in this country? Well, every state administers its elections differently, so it would take a much broader election reform at the national level 
to bring everybody in line the same way. And I, I'm not even sure that's advisable. But here in Connecticut, um, I, I think many of us listen to the national news. We have had something like 40 cases of fraud in the last 10 years. Right. And then, the, well, yeah. and I understand that. And that debate has been taking place and will continue mm-hmm. to take place. The third pushback I would have is that in 2020, my daughter, who lives and works in Massachusetts mm-hmm. and votes mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, got at home where she lived and where I now still live an envelope inviting her to have seek an absentee ballot. I an application. An application Correct. to seek an absentee ballot. Yeah. I obviously could have sent it in, gotten the absentee ballot, and sent no, it No, that's not true. Not legally, but— Not I, but necessarily, because what people don't realize, after you submit the application, that's when the check takes place. So what would the, well, first of all, this is important. What would the check be, and how could you make sure that Dan didn't vote for his daughter? So if she's registered elsewhere, that would show even out up of state. At that point. Even out of state, I believe so. Yes. The the just the, the fear is that that was jarring to people who 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 have a, a, a belief that the system has fraud, and their 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 jarringness, I guess, is that a word? Is is not <laughs> illegitimate. In other words, they were all these ballot. Everybody got, and of course, this time both the Republicans and the Democrats sent out hundreds of thousands of. Correct. Ballot applications, and we're getting used and to it. And they always have. And so yeah. so it's, it feels jarring when we see things that could lead to fraud. Yeah, but I'm not sure it should, right? Um, their uh, campaigns have always sent out absentee ballots, for example. Um, the check and balance is comparing the application to the voter rolls, and if someone, for example, showed up as inactive because your daughter didn't respond to the canvas, for example, then they would contact her at that point. Are we good at checking absentee ballots against people who actually showed up to vote? I always well, that, wonder yes, about that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're a little tight on time. What, that was what I was going to say. If somebody didn't respond to an absentee application, would, that should probably be flagged to check whether they still should be on the roll. Exactly. If they exactly. didn't vote, like that could be a good audit process, and that's a good suggestion. Although a lot of people request, um, they fill in the application, get the ballot as a backup. Sure, and vote anyway. Exactly. But if they got but an application that's... and didn't vote, so if they got, if you send an application out for an absentee ballot, you'd have a record of that. And if that person didn't vote at all, that would be a flag to check to see if they're not necessarily because they keep it as a backup. But this is another reason results are often delayed that we didn't touch upon because once the machine. Um, Votes are closed. They have to compare that list right. against the absentee ballot to make ballot. sure exactly. Yeah. Uh, listen, a uh, couple quick things. One, as you embark on this journey mm-hmm. uh, and you talk about education, I think it would be great if we could get together periodically and talk about things, even if there's redundancy. I would love. I think to. it's really important. That's that's a and B. Uh, Dan Har from Hearst Media. Anything that's recently been pushed out or you're working yes, on, you want to talk about? When we go to early voting. Mm-hmm. Will you recommend that there be uh, uh, voters be allowed to change their vote after they vote? Some states have you vote early, and they say, "Well, gee whiz, I saw oh, something I, I don't like." Saying. I don't think our window will be long enough um, to make that feasible. Five days, three to five. Is that long enough to make a difference? Do you need twenty? God, no. Yeah, that's. I think that's folly. 
personally. <laughs> I think um, it all has to work holistically. And if we have no excuse absentee ballots, I think it's one answer versus if we only have in-person early voting. Right. I right, listen, uh, Dan, it's great to have you in. You Great energy and really good questions and insight. And of course, uh, Stephanie Thomas, we really appreciate the time and we'll do it again. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.